Hello and welcome to the podcast, A Voice for the Hurting. This is season three, a season dedicated entirely to stories of how God is faithful through the roughest times in our lives. I truly believe that we can gain in faith and hope through other people's stories and testimonies. So pull up a chair, listen closely, and be encouraged by today's story. Today's podcast is just a little different than my normal recordings. With the situations going on in the United States, I would be remiss as a Christian to not talk about the subject of abortion that we are all dealing with right now. Wherever you stand on the topic, we all understand how deeply held some of our beliefs are. In today's conversation, we're going to be discussing abortion from a Christian perspective, what that means, and what we believe is a truth in love and compassion. I want to point out that we have to all understand that we can't force a non-Christian to view any topic, especially abortion, from a biblical perspective. In our discussion today, we are specifically talking from a biblical perspective. So if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, at the very least, maybe it'll help you understand the frame of mind that we're thinking in and how we believe and view abortion from what we think is a God perspective. So I'm going to end this by reading something that I think really reflects my own views on abortion. I found a post on social media that said it better than I can. And I think I'll put a link in the description of the podcast, but this is what it says. So this is not my original thing. Someone else wrote this. Just because I feel like no one has said it to the woman who is pro-life, you are loved beyond measure to the woman who is pro-choice. You are loved beyond measure to the woman who is on the fence. You're loved beyond measure to the woman who is heartbroken from being told she's unable to have children. You are loved and created for a purpose. To the woman who is excitingly pregnant with her fifth child, even though her family says it's irresponsible, you are loved and created for a purpose. To the woman who found out that the child inside of her would cost her her life and chose to abort, you are loved and created for a purpose. To the woman whose world has been turned upside down when her child's heart stopped beating inside her womb, there is endless, unconditional love for you. To the woman who is on the bathroom floor looking at two pink lines after running from their abusive partner, there is endless, unconditional love for you. To the woman who has to make an impossible decision when she was told that her child was not forming properly and was in extreme pain, there is endless, unconditional love for you. To the woman whose abortion haunts her every day, there is grace and incredible love for you. To the woman who was raped and found out she was pregnant and decided not to carry the child, there is grace and incredible love for you. To all the women who have to make the choice to bring life into the world or to end it, and to the ones who were not given a choice, I hope you know that God's grace and love is endless for you, regardless if people say your choice was right or wrong. And with all the hatefulness on both sides, I hope you know that you are loved by the Savior of the world. He understands your pain, your grief, your worry, your doubt, and every other thing that has to go through. And you are priceless and endlessly loved in his eyes and mine. I apologize for those who told you different. You are loved beyond measure. So with that, we'll start today's episode. All right. Welcome to today's podcast. It's my honor to introduce Tracy Crump, who is a former ICU nurse turned homeschool mom and writer. She's from Mississippi, and she's going to talk to us today about 
some situations in her life where God has shown his faithfulness. So hello, Tracy. Hey, Lori, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, I'm really excited for today's story because I really think this is this is a perfect timing episode. So go ahead and dive in deep. Tell me your story. Okay. Well, um, I like to say that I grew up at the hospital where my dad was the medical photographer for 29 years. And I often, as a child, visited his lab. And so it always, the hospital was always a non-threatening environment to me. I would hear the the doctors talk about, you know, things that they they did. And I just thought, well, being a nurse would be so great to help other people get well, you know, and I thought, ah, that's, so from the age of 10, I wanted to be a nurse. So that's what I did. I went to nursing school and then I, I jumped right into ICU. I worked there for five years total. Wow. Uh, and I saw, I saw God's hand many, many times in, in situations where the doctors had, had really given up hope and God turned around and healed them. Uh, you know, God, patient uh, doctors are wonderful, but they, they don't know what's going to happen in every single situation. So it was, it was uh, encouraging in that way. But as you can imagine, I saw a lot of sad things too. You can't save everybody. That's not always God's plan. So we, you expect to lose lives. Yeah. You don't expect to be told to take a life. Right. Absolutely. But that's what happened to me. One time, uh, I've probably been working about two years and I went in for, I worked night shift. So I went in for my shift and was getting ready and everything and was taking a report from the three to 11 nurse. And she gave me, we had four patients in that unit. Uh, She gave me report on the first three. And then she said, uh, the, the fourth one, she said, was a 25-year-old female. She uh, was five months pregnant, was on a ventilator. Yeah. Now, this young woman had been an asthmatic since she was a child, a severe asthmatic. In fact, doctors had told her not to get pregnant yeah. because they said your body will not be able to support a pregnancy. Well, she wanted so badly to be a mom that she became pregnant anyway. Yeah. And yeah. for the first few months, everything went along okay. But then about, a, about the fifth month, she started having trouble. And she came into the hospital, into the emergency room with what they call status asthmaticus, which is an unremitting asthma attack. But she, she was, you know, had all, she was wheezing. She was cyanotic, blue, blue lips, uh, couldn't catch her breath. And so they just threw everything at her. They gave her uh, bronchodilators, breathing treatment, steroids, the whole whole shebang, and nothing helped. Yeah. Finally, they decided they were going to have to intubate her and put her on a ventilator. And so that's what they did. But she was still so tight. Her airways were so tight that they the ventilator couldn't even push the air in. Wow. So they had to sedate her and, and put her on something called Pavilon, which is a, it's a curare like drug that totally paralyzes all the muscles. Uh, so she was, she was totally out. And so finally they got her airways to relax enough to be able to, to ventilate her. Uh, she, she was on the ventilator, but she was doing no better. And I don't, I can't remember how long she was. This was a long time ago. It's been a long while since I worked as a nurse. And I don't remember how long she had been on the ventilator, but she was, she was not getting any better. 
the doctors decided that as long as she was pregnant, she was not going to be able to get better. And so they had talked to the father and had him sign a release for abortion. Wow. Now, I'm going to say now, I, I do not fault that dad. You know, when you're faced with being told that your wife is going to die unless we take this baby, uh, you know, between your wife and, and a, a baby you've never met, you know, what right. are you going to choose? Right. And so I can I can empathize with him. But what they did was they started a Pitocin drip, also called Patrecin, which is a, a drug that uh, causes the uterus to contract. And that's used for actually inducing labor sometimes. In normal. It is, it is, yeah. it is in, nor- mm-hmm. in normal labor and delivery. Right. Mm-hmm. So the nurse was sitting there telling me all of this. And then she leaned over and said, I've called labor and delivery and asked if one of the nurses could come up and bring a Doppler. She said, I, I just want to know. I knew immediately what she meant. She wanted to know whether that baby was still alive. Right. And, uh, I, I remembered I, when I went through labor and delivery rotation in nursing school, and we had a, uh, we each had a, an assigned patient that we followed through their pregnancy and, and then the delivery. And I remember the first time that mom had heard her baby's heartbeat and the, the look of wonder on her face. So I, you know, I took, took a report, the 311 nurse left and, and I went about my business, taking care of all my patients. But I started thinking, what am I going to do when this, I never thought I would be faced with something like this. And I see you, I, I, I took this job to save lives, not to end them. And I, you know, I just, I thought, Oh my goodness, what, what is going to happen here? And so anyway, then the, the, um, the labor and delivery, a little while later, labor and delivery nurse came up and she, uh, so we went in there and uncovered the mom's uh, abdomen and, and she used the doll, put some KY jelly on there and, ran the Doppler around. And so we listened and listened and, you know, you can hear you, the mom's heartbeat um, through, through it, but you know, the baby's heartbeat's a lot faster. So you can recognize it that way. And so she was, she was listening and she said, you know, um, I, you know, I, I just, I think the baby's probably, and then we heard it. Yeah. It was whoosh, 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 whoosh. It was a strong fetal heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, our eyes met over, over her tummy and, I thought, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden the, the, the secretary, the floor secretary called over the intercom and she said, you've got to call on line one. And so I went out to the phone and it was the, the um, OB resident. And she said, I want you to turn off that drip on that patient. He said, I, I don't want to be disturbed tonight. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I never turned off a, an IV so fast. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was saved. I felt like God saved me from the experience of having to go through and see this, this abortion is what it was because, you know, I could picture what this baby looked like. Uh, I had, and let me tell you this too, Lori, I had during nursing school, when I went through ER rotation, I um, had seen uh, a feed and not a fe- This would be a fetus at this yeah. stage, but I had seen a, an embryo, uh, a patient had come in and she'd had a miscarriage. And she had saved the the embryo. She saw the embryo wow. and she had brought it in. It was probably about, I don't know, eight to 10 weeks. People talk about a clump of cells. Yeah. This was not a clump of cells. You could see that the, the differentiation, you could see the little, little arms and legs forming. Um, you know, you could see that the head, of course, was, was huge compared to the rest of the body. But, you know, babies, newborns or heads are big. 
and this little uh, little head, you could see the eyes, you could see the nose, the mouth, you could see the features starting to form. Well, like I said, that's not a clump of cells. This 20-week-old infant sure was not a clump of cells because by that age, by that time, they're, they're about 10 inches long. They have distinct fingers and toes, even starting to, to form little fingernails and toenails. Yeah. You know, their face is taking on characteristics different from anyone else in the world. Yeah. They're, they're a little human being. They and they're, not, they're not viable at that, at that, at that, usually considered viable at that time. Now, this was back in about 1978. And I think there were a couple of, and let me tell you this too. I didn't, didn't finish the story. Yeah. I, I was, you know, they, they turned off the drip. You know, I wasn't off the next couple of nights. So I was not back. When I did come back, I, I learned, I asked, and I learned that they did take her to surgery and yeah. do an abortion. Yeah. So it, the story does not have a happy ending. I often right. wondered how that marriage survived <laughs> after right. that. You know, there's no telling. But I, like I say, I don't, I don't, I will never fault that, that dad for making that decision. But I think also that there were a couple of factors in that played into the doctors recommending the abortion. One was that um, back in 1978, neonatal care was not as advanced as it is today. But even today, a fetus is not considered viable until about 23 to 24 weeks. So it probably would have been very unlikely that that baby would have survived at all, you know, had they tried to deliver it. But also I think, and I'm not I've never, I didn't hear, not hear this said, but, and I'm not making any accusations, but you know, her body was, that mom's body was bombarded with some very powerful drugs that can cause some very, very bad harmful effects on, on a fetus. They also did a lot of x-rays on her. And I don't believe they ever shielded her abdomen during those x-rays, which the radiation could have an effect too. Nobody talked about the effect the drugs and the radiation had on the unborn child, but I'm sure, you know, hospitals and doctors are not, not in the, in the business of one of attracting lawsuits, you know, they don't don't want to attract lawsuits. And so I'm sure the uh, thought of uh, the baby, the effects that these things could have on the baby probably played into that. Right. But, you know, let's look a little deeper into this subject too, because, you know, it, it, this is a, a, a particular area that even committed Christians are divided over, not, not only the in general population, but committed Christians are divided over this. I, I did a program for my church about this topic, and, and I started out saying, I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand, if you are pro-life, that every single one of you would raise your hands. But are you really? Are you really 100% against abortion in every case? And so I just wanted them to look at this a little more deeply and decide what they believe. Right. And I told another story in there. I said, when our son, one of our younger son was a, a teenager, about 15 years old, he participated in a program called Teen Pact. Yeah. Great program. They take the kids down to our, your state capitol and they show them uh, government uh, and the legal system uh, from a Christian perspective yeah. or the legislative system. And it's a great program. They did all kinds of things with them. Uh, they took them, they you know let them sit in on the, the legislative uh, sessions. They 
they met with the governor. They had, I think they had lunch with the governor's wife. You know, they, they got to, to um, propose their own little bill in their, yeah. in their classes. They had uh, the senators and legislators, uh, the senators and representatives come in and talk to them, you know, and, and it was just a great, it was a great program, all done from a Christian perspective. When the, when the, we went back to pick them up, they had us come a little bit early so that we could kind of see a little bit of what they'd been doing. So when I got there, they had a senator in there talking to them. Now, he was well known for being an outspoken Christian, uh, very conservative. Uh, and he kind of was telling them a little bit about what he did. And so then he opened it up for questions. Yeah. Well, I, I felt a little bit sorry for them because they kind of set him up. Oh, no. <laughs> they, they told the kids what to ask. And so one of the one of the questions was, how do you feel about abortion? He said, I, I am pro-life. He said, I have voted consistently pro-life on every, on every issue. He said, I am against abortion, except mm-hmm. in cases of rape or incest or when the life of the mother is at risk. Right. And, and he went on and talked a little bit more, answered some more questions, and he left. Then the leaders of, of the program, they said, they were, you know, kind of going through things with the kids. And they said, did you hear what he said? He said he was against rape, that he was, I mean, against uh, abortion, that he was pro-life, but he made an exception. And they said, if he's going to compromise on this, what else will he compromise on? And, And I understand that. I do. I do. But as I say, this is such a volatile area. I think, you know, even even committed Christians are divided on this. And, and I think of the three three exceptions, I think probably life of the mother being at risk is probably the hardest thing for people to to reconcile in their minds. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. My, my mind went in like three different directions with that. But <laughs> it's um, hard. It is. It is. And that's the thing, because there's so much more to it than just, and, and I'm not downplaying it at all, but, but because it impacts so many different parts of your lives, mm-hmm. I think that that's why to some people, it's not a clear cut question. And mm-hmm. in some scenarios, people feel like, and I don't believe this is true, but people feel like Christians will vouch for the life, but then not help afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for a fact that there are so many more resources now that may have been true in the past, mm-hmm. but there are so many resources now for people who choose. Life. Yes. Or for like, if, if the law continues to be where these states are choosing that they can't do abortions anymore, it's so much is left to be, uh, to, to be seen how this is going to play out right now. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. And, but I do think that Christians are starting to step up into that role to help not only encourage you during the pregnancy, but to help you afterwards to make sure the child has what they need to make sure that, you know, the mother is loved on and gets what they need mm-hmm. because like, so I have actually a friend of mine who was one of my very first guests on my podcast who became pregnant at age 13. Oh my. And she was so young Mm -hmm. that she didn't even realize she was pregnant until right before she was going to have the baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it really wasn't even an option that they talked about. Her mother was a nurse Mm. 
and she just went ahead and had the baby and, and she's a huge advocate for life because what if she had never had this child who now this was 20 some years ago, he's a fully grown adult. He has his own children, Mm -hmm. you know, and when we're in the middle of these terrible, tense situations Mm -hmm. with these hard, hard decisions, we can't see past that hard decision. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. But there is life in our life. Mm -hmm. And every life is precious. Yes. Yes. Every life is precious to God. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, go ahead and keep going. Okay. Well, I was just going to talk a little bit more about the the issue of you know the the life of the mother versus the life of the child. And I I read one time that C. Everett Coop, he was Surgeon General many years ago. Uh, he said in all the years of, of his practice, he he never saw a case where the babies engendered baby's life engendered the life of the mother. Now endangered, I'm sorry, not engendered, endangered the life of the mother. I, and now this situation I talked about may have changed his mind, might have yeah. done it, but, uh, and that was, it was a very hard thing, but I know um, I read too that uh, the association of pro-life physicians, they, they made a statement and, and I, I kind of like this take on it, yeah. this uh, approach to it said when the life of the mother is truly threatened by our pregnancy, if both lives cannot simultaneously be saved, then saving the mother's life must be the primary aim. And I'm saying, you know, if the mother dies, the baby dies. So right. if through our careful treatment of the mother's illness, the preborn patient inadvertently dies or is injured, this is tragic. And if unintentional is not unethical and it is consistent with the pro-life ethic. Right. But the intentional killing of an unborn baby by abortion is never necessary Right. from, from what they say. You know, maybe that baby wouldn't have survived, but if they had delivered that baby in that, in that situation from that mom, you know, at least they would have given it a chance. You know, doctors don't always know what's going to happen. I've seen it over and over again. They don't always know. So it might've, might've given it a chance. And if not, if the baby had died, it wouldn't have been intentional. It would not have been their goal. Right. If they had delivered that baby. Once again, and also I've seen or I've read of a lot of situations too, where the, the mom was told you need to abort this baby. You know, the baby's going to be injured by say maybe chemotherapy if they discover they have cancer when they're pregnant uh, and, and they decided to go ahead with it. And then the baby was born perfectly healthy. I've read stories like that. Doctors don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Right. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, in fact, she had uh, gallbladder disease when she was pregnant with her last child, her fifth child, uh, she refused to have surgery. Now that was her choice. To me, that's the choice that a mother should have. It not should have, but should be given is for life. And she decided not to have surgery until after the baby was born. She later developed pancreatitis, which can be a uh, byproduct of not uh, treating gallbladder disease early enough. But that was her choice. She was willing to do that for her baby. So there are a lot of choices that can be made other than abortion. Yeah. Also, I read one time too, I'm going to read this little thing. Uh, This was about, uh, this was through the uh, medical profession in uh, Ireland, which is the, the, probably the biggest pro-life anti-abortion country there is. They, they do not allow abortion at all. At all. Yeah. 
And they said this, it would never cross an obstetrician's mind that intervening, intervening in a case of preeclampsia, cancer of the cervix, or ectopic pregnancy is abortion. They are not abortion as far as the professional is concerned. These are medical treatments that are essential to save the life of the mother. It is wrong to confuse necessary medical treatment, which doesn't intend to harm the baby, with abortion, which deliberately takes the life of a child. Yeah. So they're saying that there's always some kind of treatment that you can, can institute. And yes, saving the mother's life is the primary aim. It is that it should be the first goal, because as I said, if you don't save the mom, you're not going to save the baby. But if the baby's unintentionally injured or killed during that treatment, it's not abortion. It's not the same thing. Right. So those are a lot of things that we, you know, that, that we have to think through to know what we believe, because Honestly, at that time, when I was faced with that possible having to assist with an abortion, I had not thought through these issues. I was not raised in a Christian home, and this was just not a discussion we ever had, and this was not something I thought I would face in ICU and not anything I'd ever thought about. So I really would like for your listeners to think through what they believe in this instance, even if they, whether they say they're pro-life or not, you know, what, what is really important. Right. So because we talked about that scenario, we have to talk about the other two, which are also very, very tricky. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they are talking about the the case of rape and and incest. Yes. Yes. And to me, they're, they're basically the the same. Well, they're not the same thing, but you know, they are very close because they both take place because of rape. I, I did a lot of research into that too. And, and um, I found some videos online that were very interesting done by children of rape, the yeah. product of rape. Yeah. And they were very convicting. Uh, they said, you know, one lady said, I love my life. I can't imagine not having my life. Uh, they were, I think, I think all of them were, ad- had been adopted. And then they used, I think all of them had gone back to try to find their moms. Yeah. In some cases, it was it was a, a good reunion. It was a good thing, a happy thing, you know, and the moms, they thank their moms for, for giving them up for adoption, for, for giving them life, not yeah. aborting them. Uh, one lady, though, it was very different. Her mom was a very bitter person. She she said, I tried every way I could to to get rid of you, but it didn't work. And wow. she, so she had given her away to a, a relative, given the baby away. And so she kind of, you know, she kind of not in touch, but kind of in touch. She kind of watched her growing up. She said, you're just a brat. I never liked you. I, I hate you. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine being told that? No. And so that lady, she was, you know, she was not young when she, when she uh, talked to her mom, but she said, she said, I just needed closure. And she right. said, I told her, I thank you for not killing, not, not aborting me. She said, I thank you for giving me away to my family. I love them. And she said, God bless you. And so, and then they hung up, but she's, she was the one who said, I love my life. She can't, I, she said, I love my children. I love my grandchildren. She said, I can't imagine not having my life. And you know, that really touches you when you think that because of the rape, because of an awful, awful thing that happened that, that you heap more awful things on top of it by, by killing that baby, you know, they, they, it's not the baby's fault. It's not the baby's fault. What, how they were conceived. Right. And that's the thing that strikes me after that story is just like God can 
work in any situation. Like he's worked in my own life and shown himself faithful. He can work in any situation, even if it is a terrible, terrible, you know, thing like a rape. That's right. God can still work in that. And God right. can mm-hmm. still show that he's faithful. He can still redeem that situation, redeem that child. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's a, a book too I'd like to recommend written years ago. It's not a new book. It's called Startling Beauty. Yeah. Written by Heather Gimmon. And she, uh, I actually met her at a, uh, at a conference, writer's conference that I went to. And her story, um, she was raped. I won't go into the whole, all the details. She just tells it beautifully, um, the pain and the, and the, and the beauty of it. And she was raped and she um, went, they took her to the emergency room and had her checked over and they gave her a pill and said, take this. And she said, what is it? And they said, it's, it's an after more, uh, morning after pill. And she, they said, just in case, you know, that, that you become pregnant. And she thought, she said, I'm, I, I don't believe in that. She, I don't believe in abortion. They said, well, just take it home with you. And so she did. And she of course didn't sleep all night and just thinking about what if, you know, what if I, I became pregnant? She said, this man, you know, she was just so traumatized and it would just be another trauma on top of it. And that's, that's what happens, you know, when someone's raped and then becomes pregnant, it's one trauma on top of another. It is. Absolutely. So she said uh, the next morning, she said she got up and she said she took the pill. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. She had the baby anyway. And she, she talks about how she couldn't imagine not having that child yeah. and how beautiful she was. So, you know, God, like you say, God can bring things, good things out of anything. And I just think we have to be faithful to him right? and, and his word. We all know the verses, you know, I'm fearfully Psalm 139, fearfully, wonderfully made marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. But until we really internalize those verses, we can memorize them all we want to, but until we really internalize them and, you know, reconcile them with what we see going on in the world and what's going on around us then we, you know, we, if they don't do us any good, we have to integrate with what's going on in society and use those verses to, to follow God's will in our lives. And if we don't think about this, I know I keep saying this, but if we don't think about this ahead of time, we all think, well, I'm never going to be confronted with any of this. Maybe I'm past childbearing age, but you've got children, you've got grandchildren. This could be an issue in anybody's life. And we, we need to think about these things ahead of time and know what we believe down deep and know how to react and how we, you know, how we feel about these things and how God views these things. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, that makes me think also of another topic within this that needs to be brought up is children with disabilities. Hmm. There are very often when you find out that, you know, if your child is going to have Down syndrome or might be born without an arm or a leg or Limbs in general, um, I think of, I'll, I'll say his last name wrong if I try it, but it's Nick, like, Vujicic or something like that. It's this guy who lit, he's a Christian and he's a speaker, a motivational speaker um, that was born without limbs. I think I've uh, seen his videos. Yes. And he's so inspirational mm-hmm. and so motivating. And, mm-hmm. and he actually spoke about in one of his one of his speeches that I saw that there was a point when he wanted to die as a child because he wondered why God would do that to him. Mm -hmm. But now again, God shows his faithfulness through that. 
on the other side, we like, we don't always see it when they're in the middle of it. Mm. So if someone is out there and they find themselves pregnant and they don't know what to do about it and they're considering crossing into another state, I'm because both of our states, uh, we talked about this before the recording started, <laughs> both mm-hmm. of our states are, have taken the anti-abortion stance mm-hmm. and you might not see what God is doing right now, Yeah, but he's working. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm and, glad you brought, brought that up too, about the disabilities, because, um, I don't know why I have experiences in all of these areas because, but I, I know it's because God wants me to use them. Um, but I, uh, I had a friend who, um, she was a homeschool friend. She had been told when she was uh, pregnant with her second child that the child had Down syndrome and uh, the, the doctor just basically assumed that she would, would abort the baby. That was just part of it. In fact, that's a story that I've told in my uh, devotional book that I published last year. And uh, she refused. She refused to abort the baby. That baby, four years later, was sitting at my counter, kitchen counter, eating cupcakes, and she was perfectly normal. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with her. I actually have a similar story. One of my friends had the exact same thing happen. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can have misdiagnoses. Exactly. Doctors Making, do not know everything. Right, they are they not don't. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, so um, I don't know if I told you this in, in our messaging, but I work in healthcare also. I have for the last 20 years and I have done a little bit in the ICU, but one of the things, one of my pet peeves is when doctors tell an absolute to a patient mm-hmm. because they don't have a crystal ball. Right. They can't see the future. No. You know, and like I, I work in therapy, like occupational therapy. And I've had many patients say, my doctor told me I'll never walk again, or I'll never do this again, insert it, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen them be proved wrong, mm-hmm. but right. the doctor has in their hands, the hope of their patient. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think us as healthcare workers, we do too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And anytime that I would have someone tell me that that's what the doctor told them. I would tell them that they don't get that decision. God does. Right. <laughs> well, exactly. you know, you, you can say the God part in certain contexts when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can't mm-hmm. say that, unfortunately, to everyone when, in healthcare, unless it's a Christian environment. But, but the doctors only have that limited view. Exactly. And you know? God is sovereign. And yes, it's his, <laughs> it's his, it's his ballpark. It's his decision. Yes. And I've seen that over and over. Yeah. I have another scenario I want to bring up just because, uh, so I have a, a cousin of mine who's very near and dear to my heart, but we do have very, very, very different opinions on these things. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, it was actually like in a social media post about how something that made her more pro-choice was knowing how mistreated some children are and how unwanted they are after they're born. Mm-hmm. And while I understand the heart of where she's coming from, because she's a mom and she loves her kids and I'm a mom and I love my kids. And I can't think of, I can't, I can't fathom. I hate it when I hear stories about children being mistreated. And Mm -hmm. that's one of my passions actually is, is, you know, when children are mistreated, it just, it hits my heart in a way that a a lot of other things don't, Mm -hmm. but my children make me more pro life. (laughs) That's right. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but again, so my love towards my children affected me one way. Her love towards her children has affected her in another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
what would you say to someone who is afraid of how children are treated in this world? Because there are, there's child abuse, there is rape and incest and, you know, people who are neglected and abused. Well, we have no control over that. We just, we don't. Um, and people who are going to do that, uh, they, they, as far as the, the, as far as relating it to abortion, you know, they're not having abortions, obviously they're having these children. Right. So abortion is not an answer to it. Right. It's really not. Uh, That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I didn't and, and, actually respond to her post because I, I didn't want to start an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm t- I try to be really sensitive on the internet because I know people say things without even thinking. Mm-hmm. I know. And, but your, your point earlier where you said that we need to step up and be there for these moms or these, it's, it's the same situation. We need to be there as support mm-hmm. for people who are going through difficult periods or who are, you know, maybe needing to get away from abusive spouse or something like that. So we need to be there to be uh, a support for them. And a lot of times abuse takes place because of just desperation, Uh, desperate scenarios of being in poverty or, you know, whatever. So we need, it's, it's your point was very, very well taken that we need to, to be there to step up and, and help these people. But abortions, I don't see abortion as being the answer. I can't right. see that that's going to solve a problem. I right. mean, who, who's going to, to decide whether this family can, can have children or this family can? I mean, we're getting into some really, really gray areas there. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, too, a lot of people end up in abusive situations that were wanted children. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very much wanted children, and they still can end up. Like that is a very separate issue. It is. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we try to put blankets over things because it's easier that way yes. in our minds to, to, yeah, well, if, you know, they just didn't have the kids to begin with, then it'd be better, but yeah, they didn't choose that. Did they? They have, uh, yeah. and mm-hmm. they're still treating them poorly yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. it is heartbreaking. It is. But yeah. And like we were saying earlier, God still works in that. There are mm-hmm. many people who were abused, who, whose lives turn around, like even in whole situations with, with drug abuse and all of this other crazy stuff. And then God can come in mm-hmm. and use turn them. a life around. Yes. Mm-hmm. And use those situations that were so painful when they were younger. That's right. Transform people's lives when they're older. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Lori, I've just thought of one more thing I thought I think it'd be good to talk about, too, sure. is, is, you know, the healthcare profession yes. and those who are in the business of performing abortions. I never, you know, I, I was not I did not work in an abortion clinic, so I was not I did not think I would ever have to face this kind of thing, even though I did. But I think praying for these people who are in this industry, I can't imagine going through that day after day after this, the horror that I had that one night when I thought I was going to have to see a baby aborted. I can't imagine seeing that day after day after day in preparation for our talk today. I watched the movie unplanned last night, probably seen that. And it's about Abby Johnson, who, who actually directed a, a large uh, parent uh, planned parenthood center in Texas. And she, uh, she eventually worked there for eight years 
and eventually came out of that. She said, I can't, I can't do this. When she, what, what made the difference was when she actually saw, had to assist, she'd always been a paper pusher and she had to actually assist in an abortion and saw the baby basically fighting for its life. Wow. So it was, it's a very powerful movie. I sat there and cried. <laughs> yeah. I would cry again if I start thinking about it too much, but you know, prayer was a big part of that movie. Um, they showed the, um, you know, right to lifers standing out front praying over and over and over. And she mentioned in there and she said, this is not something you'll see anywhere else. But she said, whenever you were out here praying, she said, our numbers dropped by 75% of the people who came in that day. So prayer, you know, being present was probably a big part of that. People saw the, the, the patients, the girls saw that and didn't want to come in, but prayer is powerful. Yes. Prayer is powerful. Who would have ever thought after being there, the director of that center center and being a, a, an employee there for eight years that she would ever leave yeah. and actually turn around and then start working for the pro-life movement. Yeah. So we can, we can condemn these people, you know, we can call them murderers, um, which I do believe that abortion is murder. When you're d- deliberately taking the life of a child, it's not a, it's not a clump of cells. It is a preborn baby. But we need to pray for them. I think prayer is, is, is very essential in this whole topic, this whole arena here. I think prayer is probably one of the most powerful things, is the most powerful thing that we can do. Um, not that we don't need to do other things, but I think it's the most powerful thing that we can do. And praying for the people who are working in the abortion industry may seem distasteful, but I think that God calls us to do that. He calls us to pray for our enemies. Uh, I don't know if we necessarily need to consider them our enemies, but we feel like they are doing something that is against God's word. So that makes them God's enemies. So we need to, we need to pray for these people. I just think it's a very, probably an underutilized area of prayer. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like, I feel like maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like prayer itself is underutilized (laughs) because you know, I don't think that people realize the real power in prayer because so as someone who's been through my fair share of rough things in life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) particularly when I went through my divorce, I felt like what was the use of my prayers? Because my marriage still fell apart and I prayed so much. I can't tell you how much I prayed about that. Mm -hmm. Now on the other side of it, I see what God was doing. Yeah. Yeah. But God, God's still working through your prayers. He is, he Mm -hmm. is full. He is strong. He can do anything, whether he will do anything. It needs to be in his will. Exactly. And he can absolutely heal hearts. He can absolutely soften those areas where people feel like they, they believe something so strongly, you know, they're going to cling to that pro-choice, but God, you know, God is love and God is life. And I, I think prayer really is, is such a, such a strong part of how we can help reach people, the people who are going through those unplanned pregnancies, Mm -hmm. um, the people who are yelling at us because they feel like, you know, pro lifers are, you know, judgmental bigots or whatever word they want to use, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we don't want to give women a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's not about choice. It's about life. Mm-hmm. Like that is a living child. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> so 
is there anything else that we should say today? Um, I guess I just want to go back one more time and say, just please think, think these things through because we never know when we could be confronted with something like this. And we want to respond in love. We don't want to respond with hate, you know, hate only engenders more hate. So we want to respond in love, but we need to know what we believe and how deeply we believe that. So I just want everyone, ask everyone to please, please just think these things through, read the Bible and see what God says about, about this issue, because he has a good bit to say about it. Psalm 139 is a perfect, perfect example. Um, he's also talks about in Jeremiah about forming, uh, forming, I formed you in the womb before I knew you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And that's Jeremiah one five. So the the crazy thing about that, Uh um, I actually thought about bringing this up earlier, uh, that verse, when I was pregnant with my daughter 10 years ago, I, I was a little, I can't remember how far along I was, but I was sitting in a church service. And I hadn't felt her kick yet. And I was like, she's supposed to be kicking now, right? She's supposed to be kicking. Is everything okay? And in the middle of the service, when the pastor said that verse was her first kick, I will (laughs) never forget that. Uh huh. Yeah. And it was the most beautiful, wonderful way that God could tell me this is your child. She's beautiful. She is mine. I'm forming her in your womb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful story. All right. <laughs> um, anything <laughs> else? Not that we like wipe the tears away. I know, right? Right. <laughs> She's like, I love my daughter's so wonderful and precious and mm-hmm. such a wonderful little sweetheart. But that's the thing. Like, I just, I've known all along that she was going to be a wonder, a blessing. You know what I mean? Cause she was, mm-hmm. she was my promise from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Very wonderful. I have five grandchildren, so I know they're wonderful. (laughs) They're the light of our world. That's right. (laughs) All right. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to A Voice for the Hurting. You can find information on today's guest in the description below, plus links to follow A Voice for the Hurting on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next week for more inspiring stories to strengthen you on your journey.